0: It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change.
1: We need urgent response. This is Carl. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't waste things. Think this world is pressure. Think your time is pressure. I think I know more about the environment than most people. All you can talk
0: about is the money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. Hello, and welcome to Hot In Here. I'm Jackson. And
1: I'm James. And this is our podcast where we attempt to make climate change easier to talk about.
0: But it's no couple karaoke, is it, James?
1: No, we probably don't have the same appeal to middle-aged women as James Corden. But we are setting ourselves a challenge. We're going to try and make a terrifying topic a conversation starter without putting knots in people's stomachs.
0: And to do that, we are going to talk to people much, much smarter than us and hear about ways we can combat despair and learn what we need to do to save our planet. And to kick off the podcast, we have a very special guest, Ray Jackson? Yeah, our guest this episode is climate scientist Michael Mann, who actually inspired Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Don't Look Up, the Netflix film that has smashed streaming records. Your
1: breathing is stressing me out. This will affect the entire planet. I know, but it's like so stressful.
0: James, I know not everyone has loved it, but were you a fan?
1: Uh, Look, you know, I'm guilty of hiding under the covers when climate comes up, and I feel like the movie pulled my pants down a little.
0: I would say I enjoyed it. Without wanting to give too much away, the film is about a planet-killing comet hurtling towards Earth, yet no one is listening to the scientists raising the alarm. It does sound a lot like climate change. Exactly.
1: Some bits of the film are definitely on the nose, but I don't think there's a better way to make a satire about something as serious as climate change. It's going to feel uncomfortable no matter what. The movie takes no prisoners. You know, it goes after the media, it goes after politicians, it goes after billionaires. But then you've got like, you know, these kind of scathing political points and you have Meryl Streep with a tramp stamp playing Donald Trump. It can be a little bit much and the comedy can feel forced, but it's still pretty funny.
0: I think it also possibly went for a bit too long. But saying that, I did really enjoy it. And I really like this idea of using comedy to cut through on such serious issues. And I know for me personally, it it made me think about my own action.
1: Yeah, you know, climate change is often depicted through an obtuse lens. And I say that's what I enjoyed about the movie. It's spoken absolutes. If we don't act now, we're going to suffer. And it'd be interesting to know if that's how Michael Mann saw the film. You know, does it accurately portray the life of a
0: climate scientist? That's why I'm so excited to speak with Michael Mann. He's one of the world's leading climate scientists, and he's the author of The New Climate War and also the director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University.
1: That sounds like a mouthful, and it sounds like someone we should be listening
0: to. Yes, and we will be after this break. Professor Michael Mann, welcome to Hot In Here. It's so great to have you. I'm really looking forward
2: to chatting. Uh, Thanks. I'm looking forward to uh, the conversation as well. I want to start by
0: asking you, how much trouble are we actually in? A lot of people are very worried, terrified about climate change. So are we screwed? Is it too late to do anything? Or is there cause for optimism?
2: Yeah, I like to emphasize that there is both urgency. We are seeing damaging impacts of climate change, dangerous climate change by some measure has arrived, Uh, but there's also agency. Um, It is still possible for us to prevent the worst impacts of climate change and maintain a a livable planet for uh, us and other living things if we act boldly, dramatically, and quickly. And so that's what it's about, urgency and agency. We can solve this problem, we just need policies that will incentivize a rapid shift away from fossil fuel burning towards renewable energy, clean energy.
0: That's a really important message, Michael, that it's not too late to act, but the clock is ticking and we really need to get moving. We really need to get our asses into gear, given how much time we've already wasted.
2: That's right. In fact, uh, the... uh, doomsday clock was just updated every year it's updated and the second hand has come even closer to midnight just seconds away that conveys the fact that we do face this existential threat in climate change and we do need to act now
0: i feel like some people don't engage because they find climate change to be quite confusing and others are simply just paralyzed by fear As a climate scientist, you obviously know better than anyone what's at stake, the magnitude of the issue, the urgency that's needed. How do you go about communicating that in a way that provides people with hope and fills them with optimism?
2: Yeah, well, I try to convey what the science actually has to say about the problem because the science does convey hope. Uh, The reality is that we can still avoid warming the planet beyond a a catastrophic one and a half degrees Celsius, Uh, but that will require us to bring our carbon emissions down by 50% within the decade. So it isn't the time for despair um, or or doom mongering. It's time to get going. It's time to act. And so that's really what I try to uh, instill in people, Um, a, a recognition that the science tells us it's not too late to act. And ironically, If we come to believe that it is too late, that potentially leads us down the same path of inaction and disengagement as outright denial. And there are some bad actors, fossil fuel interests, uh, who would like nothing other than for us to become filled with doom and despair, because then we won't act. Then we don't do anything about the problem. So what you're saying
0: is there are individuals who are trying to persuade the public that fighting climate change is a losing battle and that we should give up?
2: Yeah, so the latest example of that, um, in the wake of the Glasgow Climate Summit, where, you know, climate advocates, we didn't get everything that we would have wanted, um, but we did make some real progress. In fact, uh, we now saw, you know, uh, with Glasgow coming out of the COP26 meeting, Uh, commitments from the countries of the world that now put us on a course to keep warming below two degrees Celsius. That's not enough. We've got to bring that down even further, but it's real progress. And so in the wake of Glasgow, um, and there were some individuals uh, who were misquoted, taken out of context. Of course, uh, Greta Thunberg, I'm a big fan uh, of hers. She's really raised awareness globally about the climate crisis. And some comments from hers were taken out of context by one of the most prominent fossil fuel funded climate change uh, deniers and inactivists um, to suggest that the entire uh, you know, UN uh, process for climate action was broken, that we need to give up on uh, these uh, multilateral negotiations to act on climate. Um, because they're just not going anywhere, the process is broken, it's hopeless, we haven't seen any progress. Those are all lies. And they're used, once again, in this case, by one of the more prominent representatives of the fossil fuel industry, Uh, somebody who's been hired by them uh, for decades to sow doubt and disinformation and denial, and now doom and despair mongering.
0: Michael, can I ask you about the often fraught politics of climate action? I'm from Australia and my country, or at least the government, is seen by many internationally as being a climate laggard. So what influence do we as individuals actually have? And how can Australians get their politicians to take more meaningful climate action? Yeah, it's a great question.
2: Um, And I've spent some time uh, down under, I've uh, got to know... Uh, both the country and, 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 and the people and the politicians uh, quite well. I sort of feel like it's a second home of mine now. And, um, you know, there's no question that Scott uh, Morrison and the uh, Liberal National Coalition um, really has been a rubber stamp for the fossil fuel industry. They've refused to act in any meaningful way To reduce carbon emissions, to uh, you know, to support policies that will incentivize the shift away from reliance on coal and natural gas and other fossil fuels towards renewable energy. Um, And it's so ironic because uh, Australia has these amazing natural resources when it comes to renewable energy. It's got the wind, it's got the sun. Um, uh, If If anybody can decarbonize their economy now, it's Australia. And South Australia has actually proven that recently. So, you know, here's what Australians can do. I mean, you get the politicians you vote for. So, you know, Australians really do need to vote on this issue. They need to recognize that the climate crisis is here. I was there for the black summer. I saw the devastation um, that is now being wrought by climate change in Australia. And the only way we can prevent it from getting better is if we elect co- politicians who are willing to do what's right for us rather than simply be a rubber stamp for polluters. So Australians need to elect um, climate uh, you know, hawks, um, climate advocates, Uh, To all levels of government, so that we'll see the sort of action from Australia that, you know, we had um, uh, under a previous government. There was carbon pricing, there was real progress, and then it was taken away. And so we need to get back to that. Australians need to reassert their leadership on this issue. Okay, so it's really important to send a strong message at the ballot box. At the ballot box for certain, but there are so many ways to use our voice, right? We can speak out. We can um, engage in demonstrations and, and protests like we've seen from, from youths uh, all around the world, including Australia in recent years. Um, but ultimately using our voice, putting pressure on those politicians, on those policymakers. And one of the best ways to do that, of course, is to vote out uh, the bad eggs, and vote in the good eggs, um, but but there's so many ways that we can speak out, we can engage with our friends and neighbours and, neighbors, um, and uh, you know, work colleagues um, and just talk about it. The more we talk about this issue, the more it is part of our public discourse on a daily basis, the more pressure that is brought to bear on those policymakers.
0: This podcast, Hot In Here, is all about educating people about climate change, hopefully also empowering them to, to have everyday climate change conversations. What are the conversations, though, that we can be having that will have the most impact?
2: Yeah, well, you know, face-to-face conversations are important. Of course, we're still in that uh, era of COVID where there isn't as much personal contact um, as, as there once was. And so social media has become ever more uh, important. It's such an important way to engage um, with a wide variety of, 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 of individuals um, and, and groups of uh, people. And, and there are ways to leverage our message uh, because we have friends and followers. Um, and so there's this multiplier effect. Uh, so, you know, being out on social media, look, the climate change in activists... the the fossil fuel funded delayers and forces of inaction are out in force on social media, spreading their misinformation and their disinformation. Uh, We need to be out there both um, refuting uh, the lies, um, but also making the positive case for why it's not too late to act, why we do need to act. And so social media has become a really important way of um, you know, again, of using our voice, uh, but face to face contact is important as well. And as we come out of the pandemic, I think there will be more and more opportunities for us to engage in person um, with 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 individuals and, and groups to get that message out.
0: When it comes to those in-person conversations, how can we talk about climate change with people who don't actually believe in the science? Or should we just not go there? Should we not waste our time and energy?
2: Yeah, you know, I guess you have to use your instincts, right? Um, uh, When you come into contact with somebody that you suspect is not engaged in good faith with you, they deny the science. But if you, you know, take one of their claims and you demonstrate that it's wrong, they'll just move on to another Uh, False claim. And pretty quickly, it becomes important that all they're interested in doing is wasting your time, wasting your effort, riling you up when what you should be doing is reaching out to people who are movable. So, yeah, sometimes you have to recognize that, um, you know, it's time to give up the fight, (laughs) Um, that um, it's time to move on. Um, uh, You're, you know, you're not making any progress with this person. And it's because their denial of climate change isn't coming from a place of of logic and and thoughtfulness. It's coming from a deep-seated ideological uh, viewpoint. It's sort of become a tribal a component of the tribal identity of conservatives today to deny climate change, or at least to deny that it's a problem. So our time is much better spent on the very broad swath that I call the confused middle. Um, They're not climate change deniers, but they're not climate activists. Um, They're just ordinary people who, you know, uh, are confused. They've heard conflicting information. Um, They're not convinced that climate change is that much of a problem or that we can do much about it. There's so much room for progress when we engage uh, with those folks. And when we do engage with them, um, we have to remember the odage, when you give a person a a fish, you feed them for a day. When you teach them how to fish, you feed them for a life. Um, That's the same thing Uh, The same thing is true with information. Don't just give them facts. Give them resources. Hey, this website's a great place to go. Hey, this person would be a great person to engage with Um, so that they can draw upon those resources in the future, spread the message, and get others engaged.
0: I never thought I would ask this, but can pop culture play a role in helping to save our planet? Don't Look Up has broken records at Netflix. And you actually have a link to the film. Leonardo DiCaprio's performance was partly inspired by you. How did you actually feel when when you found that out? Were you honoured? I don't want to give too much away, but all I will say is the scientist in the movie, Michael, is a bit of a sex symbol.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, w- I was amused. My-, my wife was amused. I, I-, I know Leo, I've-, I've worked with him for a number of years, um, you know, because he's been, uh, you know, out there on the front lines trying to communicate the climate crisis. His Academy Awards acceptance speech was probably the most galvanizing moment, I think, as measured by uh, social media for climate change, when he used that opportunity to really communicate the climate crisis. Um, So um, he's really, you know, a, a hero in my book. And I was deeply honored that he, I guess he drew upon, you know, the many conversations that we've had over the years now. I'm probably the climate scientist he knew best. And so it made sense for him to draw Uh, I I guess a little bit uh, upon me and my experiences, um, and even according to my daughter, some of my mannerisms. um, (laughs) But, you know, so it was amusing, and obviously um, it was, uh, you know, it's flattering. Um, But at the same time, you know, there's a really important message to this film. And yeah, it's funny, and yeah, it's engaging, and, and I encourage everyone to see it. But it's also an opportunity; it's a teaching moment, and, and that's the way I've tried to use it. Um, and again, without giving things away, it's such a beautiful metaphor that has been provided to us by Adam McKay, the director. I also happen to know David Sirota, who sort of co-wrote um, uh, the, the film, um, who's also been a, a leader on, uh, sort of, um, in the climate space. Um, you know, it's it, it's a metaphor um, for the climate crisis. And as I said in in a number of uh, interviews, um, uh, including interviews about this film, you know, sometimes we find that the front door is closed. And we talked about some of those, um, you know, uh, individuals who uh, seem to be resistant to the message. Um, You can't really get to them with facts because it's almost become ideological to them. One of the secret weapons there is humor because it's a side door. The front door may be shut, may be bolted, closed— but there are side doors we can sometimes use to get to people, and humor is one of them. It's disarming. So if we can frame a problem like this using humor and satire, we can get people maybe to rethink it a little bit, um, to lower their defenses a bit, and, and maybe they can be reached. And I know that was part of the motive of Adam McKay uh, with this film, to use you know that secret weapon of humor and satire and ridicule to try to break through with some people who thus far have been resistant to, you know, the, the message that the science is sending us.
0: Okay, so you really believe that these kinds of movies, and in general, the use of humor, the use of satire, can actually be quite helpful in moving the needle and in, in getting people engaged?
2: I think so. Um, I think, you know, we've got to use all the tools in the box right now, and humor and satire are an important tool. And, you know, no one tool will work on everyone, and there are people who don't like that movie. There are people who won't see that movie. Um, that's fine, but it is one vehicle, and there will be many more in the future, I'm certain, for communicating this.
0: And one of those vehicles is a children's book, Michael Mann, that you have written as a way to inspire children to do something. Can you tell us a bit more about this project?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, my most recent book was the, the New Climate War, which is for adults. And it's about, you know, the climate crisis and the challenges we face today Um But uh, I've got another book coming out in March that I co-authored with a children's author and illustrator, um, a wonderful children's uh, author, um, Megan Herbert. And it tells a story, and I won't give away the plot, Um, But it has to do with a girl, um, and and obviously there's a tantrum involved. Uh, She throws a tantrum. She's very frustrated because these animals are showing up at her door, Um, polar bears, a swarm of bees, and people who've been displaced by climate change. And it upsets her that they're coming to her door and bothering her. But the tantrum ultimately becomes empowering. Um, And she becomes the change that she wishes to see in the world and goes on this empowering Uh, journey. Um, And uh, again, I won't give it away other than to say that there's some irony here. The original version of the book, we we wrote it in 2016. It had a limited release. Um, And uh, so it actually appeared on the scene before the emergence of Greta Thunberg and the youth climate movement. And so in a way, this was almost like life imitating art. But now, Um, This second edition, I think um, it's an opportunity to to get this message spread more widely. It's got a major distributor in Penguin Random House now. And so we're really looking forward to this opportunity, again, to engage a different audience using a different medium. Um, And that's what it's about. Different messages, um, different audiences, finding ways to break through and using all the tools in the box to do that.
0: If there is one message that you would like our listeners to take away from this interview, what would it
2: be? Yeah, I'll be boring and just repeat this phrase that I use so uh, often today. It's about the urgency, no question, it's urgent. And the agency, also no question, we can do this. We can do this. Okay. Professor
0: Michael Mann, thank you so, so much for joining us on Hot In Here.
2: Uh, Thank you. It was my honor.
0: Okay, James, that was my chat with Professor Michael Mann. What did you make of it? It was sobering. and You know, it was it was
1: definitely, you're listening to it like, oh, climate change is scary, but there is still a lot we can do about it. The things we can do aren't, you know, turning the lights off in the house, throwing away the keys to your car and walking everywhere until you can afford a $60,000 Tesla.
0: I still think individual actions are quite important, but we shouldn't necessarily invest all of our energy into them or at least not lose sight of what really needs to happen if we want to prevent the worst effects of climate change, and that is big systemic changes in society. It was a conversation that did fill me with hope, but made
1: sure you're, like, aware of what's going on, the severity of the issue, but also not to give up. I did like, you know, your questions about pop culture. It was kind of interesting to hear him say, like, we've we've got to knock on doors wherever we can. We've got to have these conversations wherever we can.
0: Yeah, I really liked the notion of using humour as a secret weapon. The front door might be shut, but by using humour, you can sneak in through the side. And what did you make of his comments about Australia and the politics of climate change? He knows what we're up to down here.
1: You know, He knows that we're bringing coal into the parliament. He knows that we're putting coal on our
0: faces uh, to just take political pictures. Yeah, so many countries are moving away from fossil fuels, yet there is this obsession in Australia. And renewable energy just seems to make a lot of sense for Australia. We have the perfect conditions. And I liked, you know, he said, if you want to make change, the place to do it is at the ballot box. And he also really emphasised the importance of talking about climate change like we are doing now as two mates. And hopefully people who are listening feel a bit empowered and can have a bit of a chat with the people they know, James.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. It was good to. It was. You know what? It was. It gave me. You know, when you reached out to make a p- podcast about climate change, was like, I don't think I should be doing that. That conversation makes me think everyone should be doing that. It is something that everybody needs to talk about, and we need to keep getting as many doors open as we can. Yeah, sneaking in through the sides. Honestly, I think like Greta Thunberg, she's passed the torch to us. We are now <laughs> the fighters of climate. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Hot and Hero. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. The show is hosted by Jackson Williams and myself, James McManigan. Audio engineering and music is done by Callum Hicks. Make sure you tell your mates about the show and start chatting about climate change.